What good is sitting alone in your room? of the absurd where we'll be discussing all things absurd as they relate to theater today the term theater of the absurd was coined by critic martin esselin in his 1961 book of the same name and represented the absurdity of human existence in a meaningless universe by bizarre or fantastic means it came after dadaism and surrealism where artists began to rebel against traditional notions of theater and created what playwright ionesco called anti-theater in response to the brutality of World War II in a world that seemed devoid of reason and purpose. Sound familiar? Well, with all that's going on in the world today, a world where we can no longer make sense of events around us and are constantly bombarded by misinformation, I thought we might once again touch upon the ideas and themes of theater of the absurd. So, welcome to Podcast of the Absurd, where we'll be talking to playwrights and guests about their absurd and wonderful projects and how they reflect upon the world today. So let's welcome today our first guest, playwright Charles Gershman. <laughs> Hi, Charles. Welcome. Hi, Bianca. It's nice to see you after all these years. I know. It's been a long time. I, I don't think I've seen you since our retreat in La Mama, Umbria, in 2012. Oh, yeah. I was going to say 11, but it, that was my first year. 2012. Wow. So we've got a lot to catch up on. So tell me, what have you been doing since then? Oh my God! Um, well, what are we? What year is it now? It's two thousand twenty-three. So, <laughs> so it's been years eleven ago. years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's when I was first starting writing plays. Really, I only had written like one full-length play then, and I. Um, yeah, that was like God. It feels like like the world was so much more innocent at that time. Oh, and it was only twelve years ago. I know, maybe it's just my. <laughs> Yeah, it was a different world, wasn't it? It was pre-pandemic, pre-Black Lives Matter, pre-so many things. Or gray hairs. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've had an interesting decade. Like, I got married. I've like. Oh, congratulations! You know, went to, right. You went to grad school. Um, Where did you go to grad school? Uh, I went to NYU uh, for grad school. I did actually two graduate programs. I did an MA in theater. Oh in theater like history and like scholarly parts of theater uh -huh. at hunter college okay and then i went to nyu for my for my mfa okay great how was that was that good yeah yeah i don't know that was pretty pretty amazing it was from 2016 to 2018 it's a two-year program mm -hmm. so yeah so i was about a year and a half out when covid arrived right right and um how do you feel the world has changed for you in this period I know you, you said something about that you thought this was a really hot moment. Oh, like, what do you, wait, what do you mean exactly? As far as in playwriting for opportunities and... Hot moment now? Or... Yeah. Oh, huh. Um, I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what now is. I feel like the world is completely in transition and I don't, I don't really know how to describe today other than like, I feel like... Um, I've been trying to think about not only for myself, but just in sort of surveying and understanding the, the arts landscape, mm -hmm. what, um, what, what people's needs are right now, um, and how art can respond to them or serve them or, you know, reflect. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And, and are you 
doing that in your plays or what are you doing in your own work? Um, I mean, I'm working on a, a number of things, uh, but if I, you feel I feel like talking about any well, of I was, them. We'd love I was to hear. Thinking, I mean, my answer to that was not about my own work. It's really just about thinking about thinking as like a human today, you know, in 2023. Like, I don't know how you feel about the the arts right now and what's what's being made and what the world's needs are and who who people who we're making work for, who work is being made for, and what's what its function is. I mean, I. Um, I feel like we have to be thinking about those questions. Right, right. What do you think about it all? Well, I think the whole diversity thing is fantastic. I mean, as a woman, I've, like I was telling you, I've always felt like I was in a minority, and I feel like, you know, I am paid more attention to as a woman now. And just as a foreigner in this country, I always feel like, it, you know, have felt like an outsider. And I feel that, you know, I feel that inclusion is a great thing, and just for, for everybody, for all different groups and minorities i feel it's sort of the best we've ever been at the best point we've ever been at concerning that mm -hmm. um but yeah i mean i think i've always struggled as a woman in theater where sort of white males dominate the theater scene it's always been very difficult to break through but i, I do feel it's gotten better mm -hmm. now compared to 10 years ago or even 20 years ago mm -hmm. um how do you feel about that I wasn't making theater 20 years ago, and I really wasn't. Oh, that's right. I'm a lot older than you. <laughs> no, and, uh, 10 years ago is really when I was just first exploring um, mm -hmm. playwriting as a craft and really going going to see theater. I was seeing stuff in New York um, mm -hmm. at that time. So basically, we met in 2012, and the next year of my life, I was in... Um, I, I got to take these classes at Hunter College, so I was not in the MFA program. I had never applied mm -hmm. to an MFA program. Um, I thought I might want to be an academic, actually, because um, my husband was doing a PhD at the time, and all our friends were very intellectual, and um, so I, I was like, okay, I kind of want to do that kind of thing. And so I started taking basically night classes in the city um, at Hunter College in, the theater, in their theater program, theater master's mm -hmm. program. Uh, which was a really interesting place. And then, so their MFA had just been started like two years before that or something by Tina Howe. Oh, fabulous. Yeah. Who's an amazing playwright in person. Yes. I'm supposed to see her for lunch soon. Oh, great. We're, Love we're her. Get together after a long time. Yeah. Um, anyway, and so that, so after, so we met in the summer of 2012 and then I started, then I took a class with Tina and actually that kind of really changed my life. Um, Cause I was like one of five playwrights were, working with her and being mentored by her. Oh, um, wonderful. Yeah, for a semester. Yeah. And I wrote my, I guess it was like my second full-length play, but it was the first one where I really like uh, felt very pushed, mm. um, very pushed by somebody um, to, uh, to, to to go beyond what I knew how to do, what I thought I could do. Um, any ground, yeah. Yeah, and really like focus on process. Right. And then you took some plays to Edinburgh. You said you've taken, I know we've both taken plays to Edinburgh, so maybe... Tell me which ones you took. You took three to Edinburgh, is that right? Well, this was a lot later. Um, okay. So, so 2012, 2013 was, yeah, I mean, if we're talking about like my own biography or whatever, um, mm -hmm. and Hunter, and then in 2016, I went to, I started a, actually like my own MFA journey, which, you know, you can debate whether or not that's right for you. But, um, yeah, but uh, that was a two year program. And the summer, that summer, I did go to Edinburgh with some collaborators um, to, to um, put up my play, The Waiting Game. Um, that summer of 2016? 17. 17, okay. 17, so in the middle of high school, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and we had a really wonderful time. Um, yeah. I had I had gone there to check out the festival in 2015 for a week. Mm-hmm. I knew some people who had worked there, and then I like volunteered um, helping somebody promote his show at the mm-hmm. time. And as you do, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we could talk about Edinburgh a lot. Oh, yeah. I'm sure we can talk about it a lot. <laughs> Certainly a learning curve. Yeah, uh, and I. I guess I, and people would ask me before I brought my play there, like what my goals were. And I, I didn't really even know how to answer. I think my only goal in my head at at the time was like, I would like to, I would like to have taken a show, have had work done at the Edinburgh Fringe Mm because it sounded very cool and fancy. Yes, it did. (laughs) And um, what I didn't know until that summer ended was that it is really an arts marketplace mm-hmm. and a wonderful place to be inspired by work that you see to meet, um, make connections, meet people, meet really cool all of people. Yeah. 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 I met the best people. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a masterclass in, in the, if you're producing, in producing in, for in sure. The producing side of <laughs> yeah. Theater, yeah. Which yeah. is not, I probably, are you know we're both like artists first but yeah um, sometimes it doesn't Headache. work too. Yeah, yeah I mean I don't want to produce but I did and I learned a lot yeah you certainly do and then what were the other two plays you took um okay so well the waiting game was a very queer um relationship based kind of mm-hmm. like technologically infused um story did you have a lot of sort of multimedia and stuff uh we had projection mm-hmm. um yeah I mean I don't know if you want to get into the story of the play or not, but yeah. the the next the next year, um, a, a wonderful British um, English slash Welsh uh, writer director named Peter Darney, who is m- most known for his um, verbatim play Five Guys Chillin', mm-hmm. which had a long run in London and that, it's been yeah. like around the world um, and very um, very much a hit, like. Uh, mm-hmm. For a long time in different spots, um, especially in the, especially in the gay community, because it's really about the the world of the the chemsex party world. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, we became um, we just sort of hit it off uh, over coffee uh, artistically, and and we wound up collaborating the next year. Oh, great! And he had all these smarts about producing, and wound up we wound up previewing. So this was a two hander that I wrote in my second to last semester of grad school is actually um, an adaptation of a Kate Chopin um, short story called oh. the, I think the story of an hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love her. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. An amazing, like very um, early feminist mm-hmm. American writer, late, Fantastic. late 1800s. Mm. And um, I, I, I just, I, it was like a jumping off point. So I wrote a, a very, mm. very, very loose adaptation called um, uh, free and proud, which is the story of a, uh, queer uh, interracial gay couple, um, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's a short play. It's and it's sort of like, you know, we've talked about like the word experimental, mm-hmm. and as far as my work goes, it's probably one of my most experimental or non-conventional mm-hmm. plays. I, I know, I know, you said you don't quite <laughs> jive with well, that word, but yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. Um, so it's like it's kind of dueling monologues where the characters barely oh, interact. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a short play. No, it's about, I mean, it's kind of, it's the right length for Edinburgh, Edinburgh which is about an hour. <laughs> an hour, yeah. Which is, you know, we had to cut everything down to one hour. <laughs> yeah. Right, it's not a it's not a great length elsewhere, but um, it made sense there. And mm-hmm, great. How did that go over? It went, it went really well. I mean, 
it was like a kind of a really amazing, successful summer. Um, Oberon Books uh, decided they wanted to publish it. Oh, so um, congratulations! Thanks. So it was like you know th these publishers will publish some plays before, um, before yeah, they premiere yeah. there, um, so that we could sell copies at the mm -hmm. production. Nice. So it previewed. Did at, you manage to sell any copies? Um, yeah. Good. Definitely. I mean, it had a very sexy cover image. Oh, uh, good. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, like we we sold out our previews at Theater Five Hundred Three, um, which was helpful. Nice. That's um, a good theater. Yeah. Yeah, great theater, um, especially for new writing. And mm -hmm. so then we then we had like a full month at Assembly in Edinburgh. And then, oh, the Assembly Rooms. Yeah. And, and then we did a week at the King's Head Theater in London afterwards. Great. Um, yeah, and it was like that's in Islington. Uh, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was your second play that you took. Which one was the one? Because you got nominated for the same award I got nominated, which was the Amnesty International yeah. Freedom of Expression. Which play was that? It was this play, Free and Proud. It was this one. Yeah. Oh, okay. This is my most award-winning play. Oh, fabulous. Yeah. Okay, great, great. And then you went back a third time. I did go back a third time. Did you take another play? It was a, we created, I created with some different collaborators, a solo show called Ivanka Play. Ivanka play. Oh, I think I remember reading about that, Charlie. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was it was really fun. It was um, it was. So what, was it Ivanka? <laughs> yeah, it was political satire, and we we had oh, a, an incredible actress named uh, McLean Peterson, mm -hmm. um, who literally she walked out on stage uh, with her hair done up, and in this oh, like we found this blue font. <laughs> yes, yeah. font and this really orange, this orange. Um, I don't, not a pants, not a pants suit, but it was like so it was a jumpsuit, and um, and How funny people, Americans were like, were 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 riveted, and the British didn't always fully get it. Oh, um, and it was like because it was so much about it was so much about like living under Trump. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, what did you say that was a monologue or? It was a solo show. Solo it show. was a monologue. Okay, I'd like All to read her. that. That's that's really that's the kind of thing I like. <laughs> it was really fun. I mean, the thing the thing that I the thing that I really learned making that a I learned like how to create drama with one character, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. how to make something feel dynamic. Yeah. It was um, it was a very very much a learning yeah, experience. Yeah. But also, um, what was the other thing I was to say? Uh, oh, that writing something very topical, very of the moment. Has a, can have a limited shelf life. Uh, yeah. So I kind of like a year yeah. or two later, I was like, okay, this 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 play has probably like run its run its life course. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, thankfully Trump is in an office right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. But speaking of monologues, Charlie, I love monologues, and in fact, um, this podcast is a part of my Substack, which is a monthly newsletter that comes out, and I do a writing exercise every month. And this month, it's going to be a monologue. And speaking of monologues, I have here, Charlie, something that when we met in Italy, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about now. Yeah. Um, and there was a class, and I sent you guys out to find. Did you organize that? Yeah. Was that you? Yeah. Oh, I forgot that. Okay. It was the inanimate object yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I was teaching because Matt couldn't make it. So I was teaching that class mm -hmm. and I sent you all out to buy an object for under a dollar at the Italian flea market. And you came back with, I think it was a, a wooden um, key ring of mm -hmm. an owl. Mm -hmm. 
and you wrote this monologue and I pulled it up and I don't know if Charlie remembers this, but I'm going to, it was so funny. We laughed so much. We had, we made you read it a few times. I remember, but it's a short monologue that I'm going to ask you to read for everybody now. Do you mind? It's so cool. And it's called the Umbrian Owl. Owl. Oh my God. I haven't seen this in a decade. You haven't seen this in a decade. Okay. So this is going to, you know it though, because you wrote it (laughs) and you got to do all the sound effects and everything. I, I could use some of my, um, my, crude instruments here <laughs> go charlie <laughs> the dog you just really alarmed the dogs oh god okay here we go okay uh okay get into let me do um some moment work sure sure no the umbrian owl the umbrian owl buongiorno ahua ahua i am an owl from a flea marcata in spoleto ahua I am so happy to be brought now, but I am uncertain about the future. Ahoo, ahoo. Uh, because uh, there is a rumor that everyone in this flea mercata will be captured and transported across the ocean and kept as prisoners. So I am unsure. Ahoo, ahoo. I hear awful things about America, but I have a, a cousin there, so maybe going to be okay. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> but you did it perfectly, just as I recall from a decade ago. Now that's a good monologue from an inanimate object. So what? I don't know. He's it's, rolling his eyes. It's so funny. It's so funny. I think because... it's also the way you read it is so good. Well, okay, but look, but I think back to that time, which was basically before I ever learned, like, had any craft lessons about writing. Okay. And very free and open. <laughs> yeah, like I didn't realize that there were like, you know, people rules that people believed about what a monologue should do, for example. So today, if you asked me to write a monologue from an inanimate object, I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd be thinking, okay, what does the character want from the audience? Who are <laughs> yeah, they yeah. talking to? Yeah. What is the journey? Yeah. How do they change from the beginning to the end? Yeah, yeah. Now, because you've been you've been um, educated I'm now. Old, I'm <laughs> jaded and cynical. No, but you know, I've been writing these books of um, playwriting exercise, and the object is exactly the opposite to free people up. Um, you know, I found when I was in my MFA program with Mac Wellman that you know it was amazing to me to find that I could like break so many boundaries and I could go outside the box because everything you do, he'd just say push it even further, Bianca, push it even further. Um, And I thought that was great to just like, it really helped me open up the education with him, helped me to actually come out of the box and take away the rules. Cause I went in with a lot of rules of how theater should be and monologue should be and how dialogue should be. So So it did the opposite for me. It broke all these walls open. Well, so when you like in your study, with Mac and in your, your graduate program, did you come away? Was, what were the big values that were really, what did you really come away with in terms of like learning how to be a writer and be creative? Yeah, I I learned that um, to really trust my own gut instinct, first of all, to just, you know, you can listen to what other people say, but nobody knows your work like you do. I could learn that you could do anything you want. I mean, there's, you know, I was like a sponge Mac. Everything he said was just so, valuable um you know there was so much you could learn from him every single day but just like you know major things were things like don't worry about how much something is going to cost 
write what you want. If you want to make dogs fly, you know, do it. Just, you know, write whatever you want. I think that was the major takeaway was just like there are no boundaries. There are no rules. Break every rule. Do what you want. And so I think in my work, in my, um, I don't know, trajectory as an artist, I've just continued that way to just constantly break new ground and just do whatever, you know, I want. Don't be hedged in by any beliefs or rules. Mm-hmm. I think that was the, the the freedom, the freedom. And I looked at many graduate programs and I I think I spoke to Sarah Rule about it or something. And it just sounded like if you want a lot of freedom, mm-hmm. you know, go here. If you want a bit more constraint and structure, go to Brown, go, you know, so that's what I went for because it matches my personality. Yeah. I mean, the people who studied with Mac, like so many great uh, writers sure. studied with Mac and really, you know, but it's like, what was, what did they, um, was that, was that, you know, education part of what helped form, you know, shape them into these great writers or were they just, were they really talented? Like, were you really talented when you started the program? Well, I think that Matt goes through an interesting process where, you know, I think he picks people to start with very carefully. I know he does that, which, so he starts, you know, with a bunch of people he thinks will fit his kind of teaching and are talented. So he he starts from a certain point. But then I do think there's something in the way that he encourages us that actually does help your talent really, like, develop to its max. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas other places that might be hindered or hedged in, I think that he really um, encourages you just with the freedom of the whole thing um, to really blossom. But yeah. I do think he starts off picking people um, that he likes that he thinks will fit his kind of teaching too. So it's both yeah. to answer your question. I just kind of I remember that. reading some of his short plays. Oh yeah, they're unreadable. Some of them. <laughs> They're so weird. I know. In a great way. Yeah, yeah, they are, yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like he's like the James Joyce of theater, the way he, he, you know, plays with words and structure and and texture of words and stuff. It's really interesting because somebody can be a very different writer than they are a teacher. Oh, yeah. Um, Obviously, I think there's, like, a clear overlap between, like, his work and and the way he teaches. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But, yeah, his plays are, are not often sort of done for big sort of general public they're they're really hard to understand and hard to do but mm-hmm. he is um a, an extremely talented writer and i i studied with him and, and you know a few other people i remember it, it when the flea theater used to have pataphysics i was always taking classes with they had great teachers there mm-hmm. which was really really good so what are you working on now charles um yeah so let's see uh i guess in the theater world i'm working on three different plays right now um sort of taking turns on them. Uh, one is a, um, it's called The Art of Playing Sick. <laughs> That's our working title. And it's, I've been work, developing it with um, a wonderful director named Miranda Cornell mm-hmm. um, and a dra- more recently a dramaturg named Salma Zodi. Um, and Miranda and I basically connected, we were introduced uh, during, like in 2021 when the S Theater was like just starting to reopen maybe mm-hmm. but um anyway um we we realized we had this overlap and um we we're both really interested in manifestations of illness and also oh. hypochondria mm-hmm. and um and uh and then we just i don't forget how that led to this but we began oh yeah she was really into um, the world of narrative medicine which i 
um, started sort what of What kind like of medicine? Narrative medicine. Narrative medicine. Yeah, so What's like that? Writing about medicine. Oh, I see. Like the, the intersection of medicine yeah, yeah. and storytelling. Oh, I like that. Yeah. There's an incredible. I've not heard that term before. Narrative medicine. Oh. Yeah, it's sort cool. of like a field. But I think a lot of doctors. Do, I have like a, my best friend is a doctor, and I feel like sometimes they're skeptical. Uh-huh. But um, it's I like that. There's some beautiful writing about medicine, about the world of medicine and illness. I mean, are you talking about books like The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat? Things like that? I don't know that book. It's but, very um, funny. Yeah. There's a there's someone named Leslie Jameson who... Oh, yeah. She, I think she runs the, the creative, maybe like creative nonfiction MFA at Columbia, mm-hmm. Columbia University. Uh, and she, but she wrote a, um, she wrote a, an essay and a collection of essays. And I'm like totally about to blank on the name. Mm-hmm. Um, it is called... What is it called? <laughs> quick, let's Google it quick. I'm totally blanking. I'll Google it. You keep talking here. Uh, Leslie Jameson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is this is embarrassing. Hold on. Um, but uh, this this essay is about her, her experience um, as a standardized patient. Mm-hmm. The empathy exam. The empathy exam. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's about yeah. It's about her experience as a standardized patient. Do you know that term? No. Go okay. ahead. So, like in medical schools, mm-hmm. um, actors will come in and play patients. Oh, right. And so, a, a, a medical student who is training to be a doctor will work. Will be basically put in a room with an actor mm-hmm. who is like who's standardized. Like, <laughs> yeah, like might be like, okay, yeah. I'm 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 21. I have um, I'm worried that I'm having a, you know a heart heart palpitations. My father uh, died of a heart attack. Yeah. Um, I'm, but it's all psychological. For mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, and so this is training for medical students to learn how to um, right. interview patients uh, in an effective way to be like humans and not just um, right. not just that. people who like know their textbook inside mm-hmm. and out uh, who know how to empathize um, and yeah it so it helps them become better doctors sure. so it's really interesting it's a really theatrical setting yeah and sounds like it yeah and so it, as it turned out i knew uh, we knew a lot of actors who do this work from for income so a lot of actors in new york will oh, wow. will work at columbia or nyu or other places um and have like years of experience as standardized patients wow so they and they they really it's like a, it turns out to it's be a great really, side hustle <laughs> it is a great side hustle. many of them it was like their only reliable gig during covid wow. during like lockdown covid i bet yeah because yeah, these you know can't stop medical school yeah, um yeah. Wow. yeah so we're building cool. we're building a play out of it and it's it's very much like that. A, are you building it from like um real um verbatim sort of documents or we've had like a multi-step process so um mm-hmm. we have a script right now but the first process was was just interviewing uh people uh, we recorded interviews, right? And you're going from these recorded interviews. Well, that was the first step, and then we've we've had two very nicely supported workshops at a place called the Mercury Store, which is in Brooklyn, which is um, mm-hmm. started by Will Frears, oh, uh, yeah. and it's been around for a couple of years. Um, and it's really director led place. Um, they have Fabulous. amazing. It's an amazing. Yeah. Building. And you mentioned dramaturg. Mm-hmm. So um, I personally have never worked with a dramaturg, but do you find that um, important? Do you find that helpful working with a dramaturg? If it's the right, if it's the right, um, and what does a dramaturg do? Cause as a writer, I feel like, well, I'm the writer of my play. I know what I want to do. What do you feel a dramaturg brings forth to the project? Well, I think dramaturgs work in a different, you know, in different ways. Um, but in this example, um, 
our dramaturg Salma is really kind of like a, a really smart pair of eyes in the room mm-hmm. and bringing questions to us, um, especially when like Miranda and I have been so up close to this project mm-hmm. for a while, for a couple of years now. Almost, yeah, almost two years, a uh, year and a half. Yeah. So Salma came, joined us for our last workshop and is and has More remained. Objective. Yeah, well, she, yeah. So she she had some very objective, you know, helpful questions that I think she was able to zoom mm-hmm. out and also um she wasn't immersed in the in the research that we were right so it's like so i think anyway it's just like a, a, right? another sounds wonderful i can't wait to um see it read it see it so that and then is there a third project you said you were also working on or? Well, that's only one so there's oh, i have like okay others. you said three yeah um and then there was a short film you were talking about yeah i mean i always have like a number of things in the, yeah in, yeah in the oven. um yeah, uh, you're trying to um, move into film or TV, like some playwrights. Yeah, sure. I have I have a pilot and I'm <laughs> working on that, and I, I have a short film that I'm developing. I feel like every playwright has a pilot these days. <laughs> right? Yeah, and especially at NYU, where we really, you know. Oh, really? Do they um, really encourage that? Well, you take you take TV and you do film take classes. TV. Okay. Yeah, with really great people. Oh, that's um, that's interesting. As part of the playwriting MFA. It's it's a dramatic writing MFA. Oh, I see. Okay. So yeah. you 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 wind up choosing a focus in the end, but uh-huh. you you have to take. Okay, these classes. that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, but it's, it's like so the opposite. these days. Yeah. Opposite of Brooklyn, it's like very like very pragmatic. Yeah, <laughs> very opposite. Yeah, yeah. So, what's your pilot about? This pilot is about a. Um, it starts with this. It's it's a little bit autobiographical. Can you talk about it? Is it yeah, okay? yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's about um, immigration in the early twentieth century. Oh. It starts with a, sto- a family story um, about um, of your uh, your family. Yeah, uh-huh. these Jews on a train in Russia or the Russian Empire, mm-hmm. going taking a train from their shtetl to a port city, and one of the some sisters and their you know children and husbands, and one of them is. Um, disabled she's blind and and mm-hmm. she's blind and can't speak and she wanders off the train and doesn't make it and so oh. that's like kind of the, the opening moment and um, oh. it's a story that i that was that family story. my great-grandmother and her sisters um that i learned recently and i was like okay oh recently okay yeah so that's the story that's so the it's, sort of kicking off point yeah so anyway this is a pilot it's set in um it's set in st louis at the turn of the century Oh, period piece. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. But so it's, it's a drama? It's a drama. But so it's one-hour pilot? I mean, what is what is the length of a pilot these days? I don't know. know, 50 minutes, depending on what kind of network thing you're on. Yeah. Um, 50 minutes, one hour. Sure, yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, that sounds exciting. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been fun. Yeah, um, good. Well, it's so nice to see you. We're out here in LA and it's not sunny. It's not you it's promised not it was going to be sunny. I Bianca. know, I know. We're sitting here drinking some limoncello in um yeah, honor beautiful. of Italy. Yeah. And um how long how much longer are you here? Are you leaving tomorrow? I'm leaving on Friday. On Friday. Okay. Well, it's so nice to have had you in town. Thank you so much for coming Thanks over for and me. doing podcast. Very excited about your substart. Thank you so much. And yeah, I mean, I've just started. I hope it takes off. And next month we'll have another guest playwright. It's going to be a surprise, but please tune in again for another half hour program of Podcast of the Absurd. Thank you, Charlie. Thanks.